honor to share from the pulpit and um, either get to Sunday school and not realize that was my week to teach Oh, it, you know, it's just our, our show up here and, you know, have the wrong stack of papers. But, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Danny showed up at Sunday school and he was supposed to teach. And he thought I was supposed to teach. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if he was just lying to us about the fact he hadn't studied, but he pulled it off pretty good. So it... Kind of has me wondering whether he ever studies for his lesson at all. (laughs) Now that we've got through all the pleasantries, turn with me over to the book of Matthew. Chapter 22. And we're going to look at verses 36, 37, and 38. And I'm sure you're happy to know that I'm, I'm going to camp out on these three verses tonight. Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus speaking, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much. For this opportunity to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and worship you and share your word and lift up our prayer request to you at this midweek service. Lord, we just pray that you'll speak to our hearts and teach us how to apply these verses to our lives. Teach us how to love you with our heart, with our soul, and with our mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Tackling a subject like love in the scripture is like drinking water from a fire hydrant. It can be quite overwhelming. So rather than attempting a comprehensive study on scriptural love, I'm going to focus in on just one simple question. Who do you love? Now, if I remember right, that was a hymn from a long time ago. Right? Okay, so that joke went downhill. (laughs) Now, some knucklehead rocker used to sing it. But my question to you is, who do you love? Um, You know, there are those who are honest enough to admit that they don't love God. And then there are those who claim to love God, 
but not Jesus. However, Jesus said in John 8, 42, if God were your father, he's talking here to the Pharisees, the Jews who thought they loved God, but they didn't love Jesus. If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come of myself, but he sent me. So according to scripture, to love Jesus is to love God. But tonight my question is not directed to those who don't love Christ. It is directed to those of us who claim to love Jesus. Our scriptural text in Matthew identifies that to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind is the great and foremost commandment God has given us, which elevates the importance of our complete love for God to the ultimate level. Now, much is taught about God's love for us, but tonight we're going to focus on our love for God. Turn with me over to Psalms 145. We're going to look at verse 20. We're going to be going through a lot of scriptures. I apologize. No, I don't. Uh, If I get going too fast, you can just tolerate me and say, slow down, Charles. Psalms 145.20. Yahweh keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. God keeps all who love him, but all the wicked will be destroyed. And then in Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We can see from scripture that there is a huge benefit to loving God. But some have allowed their spiritual birth the fact that they are in Christ to minimize the importance of maintaining a strong love for God. Allowing a perceived familiarity with Christ, some develop contempt, and others are content with the concept that God is my co-pilot. And then, on the other hand, we have what I call the unsaved Christians. Those who assume they are in Christ because they believe, yet have never turned from sin to be washed in the blood of Christ. James 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. We need to pay close attention 
to this important commandment from God with all your heart, soul, and mind, a total, complete love and devotion for God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. As we said before, to love Jesus is to love God. But our love for Christ must be taken just as serious as this commandment of love, to love God with our entire being. One of the reasons we should ask ourselves the question, who do you love, is because we often are deceived by our feelings. We can think that we love somebody, yet we actually love ourselves more. While desiring them, we want to love ourselves through them, mistaking our feelings of desire as if it was love. An example of that, for example, <clears throat> just seeing how young you guys are. For example, if a man loves his wife, yet commits adultery, he might have stronger feelings of love for his wife than he does for the other woman. However, his actions demonstrate that he loves himself more than he loves his wife. Now, I know that far too often I beat around the bush. So let me be very direct here. Probably have the wrong crowd for this, but we'll, we're going to shoot this bullet anyway. Ladies, if your Christian boyfriend or fiancé wants to enjoy the marriage bed before the marriage... Even if you're getting married tomorrow, he doesn't love you. He doesn't love God. In fact, from God's perspective, he hates you. Consider the pain and destruction he is willing to unleash in your life for his temporary pleasure. Now, ladies... If your boyfriend or fiancé is not a Christian, you need to understand this very important non-biblical principle. You will never change a man unless he's wearing a diaper. Thank you, Marilyn. I needed that. I wish I knew that from my daughters a long time ago. In 2 Samuel 13.1, we have an ugly story about Ammon and Tamar. 2 Samuel 13.1. And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister or a 
beautiful sister, whose name was Tamar. And Ammon, the son of David, loved her. So, so Ammon is the step-brother to Tamar. Both of them, David was their father, but they had different mothers. Ammon's feelings of love for her were so strong that he, lost, he physically lost his appetite. And when his cousin came to see what was wrong with him, he proclaimed his love for her to his cousin. But then Ammon made some bad choices. He tricked her to be alone with him, and he forced himself upon her. After that, 2 Samuel 13, 15 tells us, then Ammon hated her with a very great hatred. For the hatred which he hated her was greater than the love which he had for her. Ammon thought he loved Tamar, but he loved himself. And the result of his self-love destroyed her life and ultimately cost him his. Now maybe you're thinking, wait just a minute, Charles. That's not a love story. That's a lust story. Well, maybe so, but answer me this. How does love turn to hate in so many Christian marriages? Could it be that our emotions deceive us and then our selfishness turns our love from hot to cold to hate? Turn over to Matthew 24, verse 11 and 12. Many false prophets will arise and will deceive many. And because lawlessness is multiplied, or iniquity is increased, most people's love will grow cold. So then, if I'm wise enough to recognize the danger of deception... Is that enough to protect me from self-deception? Let's consider Solomon. In 1 Kings 4, 29 and 30 we read, And God gave Solomon wisdom and great discernment and breath of understanding in his heart, like the sand that is over the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wise of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. However, turn over to 1 Kings 11, verse 4. Now it happened at the time that Solomon 
was old. His wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to Yahweh his God, as the heart of David his father had been. And then drop to verse 6. And Solomon did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh and did not follow Yahweh fully as David his father had done. Now wait a minute, Charles. You're telling me God was upset with Solomon because he did not wholly he was not wholly devoted to God like his father David had been? Didn't David commit adultery with Bathsheba, Solomon's mother? Then if that's not enough, David had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered. Not because of his love for Bathsheba, but just to hide his sin. It sounds like David loved himself more than he loved God, more than he loved Bathsheba, or Uriah, who was one of David's loyal, mighty men. (coughs) Yes, when David committed adultery and murder, his actions revealed that he loved himself more than he loved God more than he loved his family, more than he loved Israel, more than he loved Bathsheba. The difference between David and Solomon was repentance. David realized that he had sinned against God and repented. Solomon assumed that he could compartmentalize his love for God by separating his devotion from, to God from his love for his wives. In Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says, He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Our love of God is measured by the devotion of our heart. What does our heart cherish above all else? Of course, the evidence is in our actions. Solomon had married foreign women who worshipped other gods. And Solomon, rather than seeing that as a problem, accommodated his wives, allowing them to continue to worship, to worship their foreign idols, only to find himself compromising more and more as he aged. To the point, 
he actually, in his old age, built high places and set up idols for them outside of Jerusalem to worship these other gods. Exodus 23, God says, You shall not, you shall have no other gods before me. Remember, his wives turned his heart after other gods. Compartmentalizing sin seems to be a problem men have. I don't know about women. In fact, I don't know much about women. But when it comes to sin, it appears to me that women are either all in or all out. There's no dancing around and compartmentalizing and justifying. It's it just, it is or it ain't. But with men, we compartmentalize. At least that's what I read. I haven't really experienced that. We behave and speak appropriate for church. Then there's the other behavior that's appropriate for work. Oh, we can't forget the golf course, Ronnie. (laughs) Or that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Guys, don't be a Solomon. Quick to give a wise answer while your integrity slowly goes down the drain. Idolatry is the worship of someone or something other than God. When a pagan builds or creates an idol and worships it, he is worshiping the work of his own, of his own hands, self-worship. No different than when our admiration, our love, our reverence, or our devotion is directed toward anyone or anything other than the Lord God Almighty. Again, who do you love? God or yourself? After looking at the dangers of self-deception, even for the wise, let's look at some of our idols that compete for our affection. First, we have acts of righteousness. Now, on the one hand, there are many scriptures that equate obedience to love. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. John 14, 23, 24, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. However, on the other hand, sometimes obedience is self-serving rather than an outward expression of love. In Mark 7, 6, 
we read Jesus saying to the Pharisees, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. The Pharisees thought that their obedience was proof of their love of God. However, Jesus called them hypocrites because their actions, their acts of obedience, weren't done for God's benefit, but they were done for their own benefit. True love for God obeys out of gratitude. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, I am grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he regarded me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a, a violent aggressor. Paul never lost sight of his unworthiness and always remained grateful. So his acts of service were true worship, true evidence of a devoted love of God. We become idolaters when our acts of service, which is a form of worship, when our acts of service are done with self-serving motives. Matthew 6, verses 1 and 2 tells us, Beware of doing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Therefore, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be glorified by men. Other idols that are often mentioned in Scripture that we're warned about constantly are wealth, riches, and money. Hebrews 13.5 Make sure that your way of life is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Matthew 6.24 No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Then we see Christ with an opportunity to share the plan of salvation with this young man who's just asking what he must be what he must do to be saved here in Matthew 19 starting with verse 16. And behold, someone came to Christ to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, 
Keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to Jesus, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard that statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owed, owned much property. If you notice... When he asked Jesus what he must do, and Jesus says, keep the commandments, he jumps right into the commandments, but he, he doesn't go with the first commandment, the thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Because the young man couldn't have said that he did it, but then when he pushes more to be complete... Jesus goes right to the one thing that's keeping this young man from loving God completely, and that was his wealth. How many men have sold their souls for what they haven't yet obtained? John D. Rockefeller was the founder of the Standard Oil Company. He was the first billionaire in the United States of America, and once was the richest man on earth. He was asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? And he calmly replied, I tell you what, you ask me, Congregationally, ask me that question. How much money is enough? Well, let's, let's do it a little better. Come on. Okay, just a little bit better. Come on. Just a little bit more. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evils. And some, by aspiring to it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves, themselves with many griefs. When looking at idols, of course, we can't overlook the world, which includes the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, 
but it's from the world. Again, who do you love? Before you answer that question, consider these biblical truths. First of all, no one can love God without being born of the Spirit. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. John 3.3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3.6, That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. The second principle is that genuine love for God is the result of God first loving us. 1 John 4.19 tells us, We love because he first loved us. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. By this, the love of God was manifest in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. To be compliant with this commandment, we must be born of the Spirit. To be born of the Spirit, God first reveals to you, through the Holy Spirit, your sin as seen through the eyes of God. And then provides you the grace to turn away from your sin by turning to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you respond to God's grace and are washed in the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit enters you as evidence of your spiritual birth and seals you for the day of redemption. Ephesians 1.3 In him you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Once we are born of the Spirit, we are called 
to examine our faith, to test ourselves, to work out our salvation. Not to work for our salvation, but after receiving salvation, continue to exercise our faith through obedient service to God, motivated by gratitude for our redemption through the blood of Christ. In this, we fulfill the great and foremost commandment of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, my bre- so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. To work out your salvation is like me working out my body. I was born, I got a body. I want to keep it healthy, I work it out. I don't work trying to make my body. So when somebody's saved, they don't work to make themselves saved. That's just, that's just wrong. But once we're saved, we have a responsibility. And if we we truly are grateful for what's happened to us, that will drive us to constantly be working, be obeying, be serving the Lord in gratitude. Remember, while we are still on this earth, Our fallen man is prone to letting our love grow cold, allowing idols to distract us, to lure us down a path that promises pleasure and happiness, but only brings pain and sorrow. Revelations, Jesus rebuked one of the churches for having left their first love. And we read earlier in Matthew twenty four twelve, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So my challenge to you tonight is to find a prayer closet, a place where you're completely alone with the Lord. No distractions, no cell phone. And and you ask the Lord to teach you how to love him completely. Because that's the only way it happens. It's him doing the work in our lives. 
It's him drawing us. It's him giving us the desire. But when we allow things in our lives to take our hearts away from God, to distract us, to to think that we can find comfort, to think that we can find provision, to think that there's something better for us in this world. It breaks God's heart. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for the precious gift of salvation, the blood of Christ that was shed for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that even draws us to you. It's not even on our own desire that we come seeking you, but it's you drawing us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for that. Lord, we just pray that you'll give us the grace to keep our eyes on you. Give us the grace to remember from what we've been forgiven of that we might truly, out of gratitude, serve you. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.